Hi listeners, I'm Lisa, the founder of Maxine VR and the host of Maximize Mental Health. This podcast is for Gen Z and everyone who wants to talk about mental health, struggles and everyday problems. Every week we're inviting guests who are sharing their personal stories. Join us for casual conversations between our co-hosts Barbara and Ryan and our weekly guests who are breaking taboos and stigma around mental health. Welcome to Maximize Mental Health. Hello everyone, welcome to today's episode of the Maximize podcast for Gen Z, joined here today by behavioral scientist Lindsay Deppledge. Lindsay, welcome to Maximize, great to have you. Hi, really glad to be here. Wonderful. So I guess like just starting off, what kind of took you on the path towards, you know, sort of working in a career for for tech for good? Yeah, well, um, I guess I can start off way back when I, when I was 16, I actually got diagnosed with epilepsy and um, it, for me, that, that came out of nowhere. And um, so upon, upon reflection, I can, I can go back and say this, but my, my life changed quite a lot then. Um, and uh, I was thrown into to the healthcare system and navigating that on my own. It was, it was a time for me that I was, um, you know, when you're 16, you're, you just start getting your independence. And then that was suddenly taken away for me. Um, and so um, I think a lot of people when they get like, the, I don't know, I guess, diagnosed with things and so, sometimes it sends them down a, a path. But so so for me, I, that sent me into I, I studied public health in my in, in uni. And then um, I guess for me, I, I always wanted my career to be an impactful one. And um, that specific moment for me made it so that I was focused in, in healthcare initially and have have really stayed in healthcare and education um really because it's it's been an impactful space for me I've always wanted my career to be um helping other people and with with tech I I did my master's in behavioral science and um as a behavioral scientist it's um there's a lot of different applications whether it's in policy and in uh, but also really big growing areas in, in tech at the moment and how we can use tech for good. I think a lot of people right now look at tech as big yeah. tech. It's a scary thing, but actually I think there's so many ways that we can use it to, to help people. And um, that's that's what I'm here for. So Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I've always been kind of like uh, really, really driven, you know, to for my career to be impactful and to leave like a positive kind of as positive an impact as I could possibly leave on humanity, you know, while, while I'm here. Like, so I, I totally resonate with that. Um, and there is like big conversations around, you know, technology now, because, you know, it is kind of encroaching on every aspect of our life. So we have to confront, you know, with what it means, like, you know, for us, obviously there's really big questions like AI and the species and all that, but also just on a more granular level, like, you know, healthcare and, you know, because it is really important that we integrate it properly and, you know, manage it properly and, you know, have adequate, political leaders and leaders who are knowledgeable about technology and its effects and are well equipped to guide us so i totally agree with all of that um and i think um i had certainly the desire to have an impactful career was is definitely something that resonated with me as well what is the most um important thing you've learned about mental health say in the last five ten years and that could be kind of like drawing on you know maybe it's something that you personal experience with mental health struggles have taught you or like some professional knowledge that you've come across that you didn't know before that's now changed your your purview what do you think would be even though it's not one important thing and what do you think would be like the most kind of standout things that you've kind of learned in the last decade or so like definitely um well 
I, I guess twofold. <laughs> One, um, didn't do that great of an introduction of myself because <laughs> I, um, although I, yeah, I started in healthcare. I'm, I'm just gonna do a brief overview. <laughs> I started in healthcare and far away. Um, and <laughs> worked in, in health tech. When I when I was working in health tech, I um well I guess even prior to that I was in escape rooms and that was a bit little a fun little stint um not tech not not tech not really for good just for fun and I was just like wait a minute I want to get back in the, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, this is this is not really resonating for me um so I got a, a job at a health tech startup and um, that was a really fast-paced environment, but it was really focused on um, what they called conversational AI. It was like text message, phone call, email, um, which was in, it was in the U.S. and helping Medicare and Medicaid patients, so pe um, people in low income normally or or older populations overcome barriers to get to to appointments through very simple tech like. SMS or um or or even automated phone calls if they don't have that type of phone to get a text message and so I'd be the one designing these programs um and it'd be an appointment or even a six month diabetes management program and so how can we really use tech to help people overcome barriers and and one big thing coming back to mental health is that you know, a lot of people have, even if, when talking about physical health, mental health can often be the crux of it. It's uh, people have really big anxieties and uh, yeah. that can be a really big barrier to uh, when you're talking about going to a mammogram, for example, people can have really big fears and that's um, and stresses about it. Uh, I Maybe they don't want to know the results, um, for example. Um, and so I, I guess that's on a professional level, um, one one start <laughs> towards my um, interest in uh, mental health. And um, after that, I worked in, in ed tech at a university doing similar things, but in um, an innovation arm. So I'd be designing their software, uh, helping design. They, they had in-house software for students. They also did online courses. And um, this would be, again, trying to make it more engaging. We, we really tried to help um, for example, first generation college students be able to um, tailor things so that they could have um, the good outcomes in education, things like that. And again, a lot of things would come to if somebody has low self-esteem, that would actually have a really big outcome yeah. on whether they were doing well at, at yeah. university. And um, so it was both the the physical and the actual you know, hard outcomes in, in combination. And that's something I've always been interested in. I also have my own lived experience and personal experience with with mental health. And um, most recently, I, I founded a startup um, called Beanbag Health. And Beanbag um, was, is, is a digital app for recovery from eating disorders. And we take the most evidence-based treatment for eating disorders um, combined with human connection. And for us, it was so important because there are so many people struggling with, with eating disorders um, that just can't get access to any form of support right now. Um, and the, the rates are only increasing and um, with eating disorders, with mental health in general and eating disorders, it's so isolating. And so we wanted to create something that felt very um, approachable that you can do from from home. Um, that could be that first step. And also you'd be making moves towards your recovery. And um, I recently stepped down my co-founders continuing forward, which is yeah. uh, really exciting to continue to provide the, the impact that we have been. And um, so I guess some of the biggest things that I've learned um, from both personal and professional side of just like um, 
a, a couple of things. So one, like it's hard, <laughs> like it's never going to be easy. Yeah. Um, and uh, like, I, I think we often can talk about mental, mental health and, and this very like wellness space, um, which I think has opened up a conversation about mental health of, um, let's talk about it. And, but, uh, the truth is it's, it's hard. It's the nitty gritty. It's the dirty stuff. And, um, for me, and I think probably for most people that doesn't actually resonate when you're, when you're talking about more high level, mm -hmm. um, like, yay, mental health. <laughs> and really it's like, Oh, this, this sucks. I know. I know. I know. It's always, it is always difficult to kind of, um, there's always those aspects of the conversation that are just really, really difficult to talk about. And, you know, probably quite triggering for a lot of people as well, because people have so many different triggers from their own personal experience. So it's, it's always, it's always a bit of a challenge, I think, to, uh, to not only have the courage to like breach the conversation, but also to frame it in a way that's suited to whoever you're talking to, whether it's a group or an individual and that sort of thing. So I, t I totally agree with, 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 yeah. with all of that. Where do you think, um, obviously, you know, your field of behavioral science um, what do you think where do you think behavioral science can have the most impact in terms of you know creating you know uh, a, like a healthy mental health culture and a society that promotes good mental health and all the rest of it yeah i think that's a really interesting question um i, I think behavioral science is really good at helping understand um, people's barriers um and what's getting in the way so that we can help either make things easier or, or even potentially like adding friction and, and harder um but but really helping with with overcoming barriers i know I, to I totally agree with that i think um overcoming the barriers is it's probably like it's probably maybe the most important step in a way because it's very difficult to get you know to put forward kind of what do you say, like adequate solutions or, you know, signpost people to get the adequate resources or get the right support without overcoming, you know, all those barriers, once they're lifted, then the, the journey towards healing or, you know, all the rest of it can, can begin really. But the bar, once the, if the barriers remain there, you can't start the rest of the process. So I totally agree with that. I mean, the, the reality is that habit is always going to be greater than motivation. Like it, we always wait for that, that moment of yeah. motivation and that's probably never going to come. It might come occasionally and especially if you're really struggling. And so the yeah. reality is, is that that consistent habit, which is a lot harder, a lot more boring as well. Uh, that's always going to win at the end of the day and getting the small, small wins and getting, uh, getting better, living a more authentic and, and, and healthier life. <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think um the I think in our culture at large, because I think uh, American and UK culture, like we share a lot of things in common, you know, as Western cultures or you know that that sort of thing. But one thing I do agree is that we we kind of have this thing where like we wait for that kind of oh, there's a saying it's like rude the Damascus moment, you know. Anyway, yeah. it's kind of like you know you're oh no, I see it now. I know what exactly what I have to do. But in reality, is the journey is a lot more of a slog rather than kind of more. Yeah. You know inspiration but we do i agree with there we do a lot of us in the uk this is the same in the uk as well we're like we're waiting around for like inspiration to come from somewhere or kind of like oh i now see it now like a you know that sort of thing it's so, a lot sexier right yeah, it is, yes, it is. I totally agree yeah just kind of a moment of like instant clarity in a way but something i'm not saying it never happens it definitely does but 
you shouldn't it doesn't happen reliably enough to for it to be the only thing that you're we're kind of waiting on to, for us to like on our journey I totally and those are the stories we hear because also when we reflect and tell stories to people in hindsight you can tell it in that way but in the moment you don't have those moments like of of clarity it's it's all a mess <laughs> yeah yeah well, yeah i agree when like, you're kind of like reiterating the story back to someone else you're kind of like well i had this moment you know there was this <laughs> moment i was walking <laughs> out of my house <laughs> down into the town and this moment came i just had this flash of inspiration and reality it never happened it's just kind of it like, sounds so neat <laughs> yeah, it does it sounds it's more compelling story but the truth is just less compelling but it's vitally important that we recognize that and just recognize that it is a journey and a slog and you know there's going to be ups and downs and plenty of them and mm. all the rest of it um what kind of following off from that what is the most important thing you know your experiences with tech tech for good have 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 taught you as you've been embarking on them um i think it's as simple as like kindness over anything and that that's um having empathy for the people who are using the the end technology and uh so with with beanbag what we learned is like you know it's it's really hard hard to recover from an eating disorder and you know for some people it might be something that they will um will be working on for a long time um or for a small level for, for potentially their their uh, their life and um and for some people it's their first time doing this and so when they were using it it's a scary horrible thing to do and so it, for us, when they stopped using it we were like oh no we lost people and you want to come at them and be like, where did you go? Come back, use our app. But the reality is, it's like, if we're just kind to them, be like, hey, yeah. how are you? Like, it's okay, you can do it. Come on. Or like, good job, you logged in today. People just want that validation, that kindness, realize, like being in their shoes and that empathy does want it. Because then as soon as you acknowledge, hey, they logged in today, that's an achievement for them where they're at. They, they like, suddenly zoomed with it yeah. and and really got on track um so it's it's just as simple as that is I think probably the, one of the biggest things I've learned I uh, yeah no in total agreement I think it's um but this is a bit of a tangent but I think uh, I've spoken to a few people so far you know who have like, kind of worked in certain areas of mental health and have their like, own story and they kind of like a lot of them do kind of reiterate the importance of empathy and and you know kindness and compassion and how much of a difference it can make you know in in the nitty-gritty of it all and that's something that I I certainly um that's definitely I'm not gonna say a motto but it's certainly a a philosophy and approach to life that I would have as well I do I'm very big on you know increasing you know empathy and compassion I think it could make a huge difference in places where it's currently maybe not as prominent where it should be as it should be but what what do you think are some of the a little bit of a tangent but what do you think are some of the barriers to kind of like um more empathy and compassion you know in these areas what do you think is really stopping it being as maximized and uh, as as full as it should be probably fear would be the first mm -hmm. thing that comes to mind i think people is it not fear of being kind to people i think people like being kind to people but uh people are afraid of failing People are afraid of losing things. People are afraid of lots of things, um, making a fool of themselves. And so because of that, they they just forget. And um, or or with 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 tech, for example, they're they're afraid of losing the users at the end. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. um, and uh or or something. And so um yeah, I, I think that would be the first thing that comes to my mind. Mm -hmm. 
yeah no i think fear fear of losing fear of losing a customer support you know clients i think that all plays a huge yeah. role definitely agree um if there's one thing you would most like you know the upcoming generation um gen z and young people to keep in mind you know um, from maybe this conversation or from you know your own work uh, what, what would it be yeah I, i'm an elder gen z <laughs> <laughs> and likewise uh, I'm, I'm probably out of it like i'm 28 like so <laughs> i probably don't qualify as gen z <laughs> i am uh i was uh i'm, I'm 26 so <laughs> i think i, I just qualify <laughs> like, um, if there was one thing to keep in mind you know i i, I would probably go to just like <sighs> things work themselves out i know that sounds silly <laughs> but like I think it's so easy to get really stressed out and um, things like, especially I'm, I'm going to like, when you start university or when I think, I think things just like get every year, it gets worse and worse for, um, for students that, that compounding stresses mm. on what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> um, gets just like more and more stressful and like, mm. it's okay. <laughs> um, and you don't need to have everything figured out because it's going to change and it's it's totally fine it um if it does that's actually like a, that's the only thing that's a given is that things are going to change um and so i i think i would i just keep that in mind mm. which doesn't make things better <laughs> yeah it's um it's a really good point because I think, you know, you can kind of lose track of um, certainly when you're in the moment that you're going through some of these things, um, which is un totally understandable. You know, uh, I think from uh, an overall perspective, I think like it is understandable to, to, to be caught in the moment and not realize that you're right. You know, that things very likely will change, you know, um, whether they'll change for the, the positive or negative, uh, we've, the English language is a real obsession with like these polarities, like mm -hmm. so it's hard not to use them. But I think um, whether a change is uh, whether it's a positive change or whether it's a negative change, of course that's 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 something that could be considered and something that could be prepared for. But things will change somehow, you know, um, in a way. And I think that's a really important point. Um, how do you think that that could be communicated to kind of like a, the upcoming generation? Like, say you're someone who's like say 19, 20, 21 currently there in university going through like this really bad moment you know there's all sorts of things going on what do you think would be some of the things they could do to to realize that you know and keep faith that things will change what a hard question um curveball <laughs> i know curveballs uh i i guess i i think about like where, where are my head heads at at the moment while, while I'm saying like things will change and stuff and, and this is also like kind of fall off of this is that like I think like it's people put so much there, there's so much pressure on the the like you've got to like follow this path and have everything figured out and then like that everything figured out actually never actually happens um I think like for example when I got diagnosed with epilepsy and then I literally my brain couldn't think the same way and mm. every day it, it does change and that was at first that was extremely and still sometimes it's but I think at first for the first few years that was really hard because I uh I, I was like why me <laughs> why my why is my brain working this way um I just got to keep pushing on like I I can't uh I can't read the same way I can't do these same things and um so I guess like it's 
but having it's like I don't think the looking ahead bit was for me that was not the that was not helpful to just like look ahead what was what was helpful was like what is right now (laughs) what can I do right now um that makes me happy and um and think a little bit about the future but not much um and that that's what was most helpful for me which is not a really helpful answer (laughs) to how things can be communicated no it it, it totally is because like it's that that theme is something that's kind of come up um and and a few of the the podcast episodes that that i've done and a few of the guests i've had on like they've kind of mentioned kind of like something similar to that theme it's kind of like focusing too much on the future you know in a way you know and like a lot of them emphasize the present moment you know like not devoting too much thought to the future because ultimately it takes you away from what's here and now you know and it stops you from dealing adequately and engaging with what is is here and now so that that that's sort of you know not thinking too much ahead of the future that's i know this is in a different context maybe to some of the other guests but it's a theme that's emerged quite frequently over a, a lot of the episodes and i'm kind of like it's a bit of a conundrum because like, I think our, our culture is like very future orientated, you know, like uh, whether in like, you know, in the sort of like movie media space, we have an obsession with futurology, for example, you know, we have like, especially when you're in the academic sphere, it's very future thinking, you know, whenever you're like 14, 15, you're going through school, it's always, what can I do in the future? How can I get there in the future? You know? And I think it's probably a difficult one to navigate, you know, that the fact that our culture is so future orientated, but mm-hmm. so important for us not to focus too much in the future. That's a bit of a double bind, isn't it, to be in? But I think there's also just so much societal pressure to be, have a certain type of future. Mm-hmm. I I have a, um, well, a friend who's a professor at a university. I met her in yoga classes. She does a, she does, teaches about mindfulness. She did, she did a whole, she was like a neuroscience professor and then she was like I want to switch my whole thing I want to I want to switch my career towards mindfulness and love and that's she does now but she does a course where uh for um first year university students that's just for fun but the first thing she asks is like what's wrong with being a janitor if you were paid well enough um and uh, so and, and I think like all of us will be like yeah what's wrong with that but I think like as a society we have a really big ego against that like I I have uh like I know someone who um really struggles with this they work at a grocery store and they um they finally have enough money at the like they before that they would all be always be in like fun jobs here or there and then like kind of bounce around and uh and then hate the job and go somewhere else but then now they've been at a grocery store for a little while and actually have enough money to save up and go travel and this and that but they're always like "Mm, maybe I'm gonna go do this job over here maybe maybe I'll go back to university even though I hate it and um and I think it's really hard for them when they they're friends with um someone like 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 I've been to university I like you know I like studying so we're we're different people and uh that is um and and they it's like this comparison of like oh well I work at a grocery store so it's inferior but it's it's not you still have money to do what you want to do in the life you want to live and so I think this society has this ego about what we should be doing and I think that's actually like what to reflect on I guess as and that's a hard thing to fight against (laughs) it is a difficult thing to fight against because I think um the minute certainly uh 
whenever you know whenever i went to university i kind of went like you know because oh well my, my cousins went and you know <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a, an incentive structure like both the familial incentive structure and the societal incentive structure as well so I, I was thinking well we're all social creatures like so i was thinking within the confines of those incentive structures i was like oh yeah i, I went to this school so i gotta go to university sort of thing like you know but I mean, I not that I didn't enjoy it. Of course I did. But yeah, I think it's a valid point because I think regardless of the job that people do or or whatever they wherever they are in life in that regard, I think quality of life is really important. So if you're doing a job that's maybe looked down upon by society, you know, but you really enjoy it and you're getting enough money for it and you can live a really good quality of life, it allows you to do things outside of work as well. Because a lot of those really high caliber jobs, the, the re- a lot of the reason why they're so high paid is because they eat up more of your life. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like that, that salary responsibility thing. You know, the more you're paid, generally speaking, though there are exceptions, like, you know, um, but I think, you know, the reason why you're paid so much for a lot of those high paid jobs is because they eat up more of your life. You know, the responsibility cuts into more aspects of your life, work-life balance suffers, you know, all the rest of it, but quality of life matters and well-roundedness matters more. I totally agree with that. I think if someone, as you said, use the example of a janitor, you know, I mean, if someone, if someone is a janitor, but they enjoy their life and who's anyone else to say, like, you know, you shouldn't be one. I mean, like it's. Yeah. And I think like, I, I know I'm not, I'm saying this as someone who's not a janitor. I recognize this. <laughs> and so, but I think, I think there's a really, what I, I really don't like the phrase of like, love what you do and this and that because, and, and you know, that that's great if you do, but also I think it's really important to have a work-life balance and to, um, and sometimes if you love what you do, then that, that element of work takes too big of your pie chart of life. It takes too big of your life up and yeah. you're pouring too much into it. And actually you don't need to love what you do. You can, um, you don't, don't hate what you do, but, but there's always going to be aspects of work that you don't like. Oh yeah. Like, no, totally. yeah, yeah. like work itself is just a compromise. Isn't it really? <laughs> At the end of the day, no, no matter what you do, <laughs> I like some aspects of it, but uh, I, I don't really like this other 80%, you know, but yeah. guy, it's a bit of a tangent, but there's a guy called, uh, uh, what do you call it, David Graeber. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he, like, he's wrote um, a, a book called Bullshit Jobs. Bullshit Jobs. I said, yeah, I heard him speak when he released That's the book. It's such a good book. Like, it's just like, yeah. it's like, oh my God. Like the amount of jobs that actually exist that are so highly paid, but don't really contribute to society, you know, in that way. But a lot of jobs that are looked down on people, he explores this, a lot of jobs that are looked down on people as, say, shit jobs for example he actually distinguishes between yeah. shit jobs and bullshit jobs yeah, exactly. but uh, he was kind of like um you know like a lot he talked to a lot of people like who do the shit jobs but they actually feel like a lot of purpose because they know their job is essential to society but yeah. a lot of the people in the bullshit jobs some of which are really highly paid the, when you get them privately they're kind of like like i know my job is not essential <laughs> you know? yeah and that's not to say that the shit jobs aren't shit like some like, oh, yeah, yeah. in the sense like oh yeah like, people might treat you like shit it might be like you know it's but it's it is like i think it is an example in that book that they said um there was a day missing that the like ceo was like off or something and no one or a week and the seat no one noticed for an entire week ceo yeah. was gone yeah. at a big organization and one day that the cleaner wasn't there and like no one uh and everybody was complaining where was he where 
yeah no and that's it's a really it's a really profound example like you know it's a source of like humor obviously as you're reading it and discussing it but it's a really profound statement in itself you know that example like you know no one cares that the ceo's gone but the cleaner's gone oh wow where's my you know really big statement i really enjoyed this conversation so far i think it's been fantastic um i really have uh, just to, to the final question just to wrap it up what does the future look like for you and what are you most excited about in the future yeah well, in the, in the near future, I'm, I'm actually starting a new opportunity at a health tech startup, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and so that's my my near future. Um, I'm, I'm joining at a really exciting time, um, and, and I'm excited to, to join that team. Um, and in my in the longer term future, I don't know, I might might do another startup in the longer term future. Um, I uh I'm I'm not exactly sure to be honest. I um I'm thinking of I, I guess like outside of work. I currently live in London and making plans. I previously have lived in Barbados and that was like mm. a dream. I loved it. <laughs> so I'm like, ooh, I'm making trying to find a way to move to somewhere sunny. <laughs> um, yeah. How was the transition from? Barbados to London <laughs> how, how was that you know to move from sunny kind of lovely I'm assuming never been to Barbados but I'm assuming nice beaches you know and to London how, how was that sort of exactly like you imagine it in Barbados um my my husband wasn't very happy about it he's British but we we we'd lived in London before but it was he wasn't very happy I I'm we moved here to start start beanbag and I think it was it was definitely the best decision for us um and he's got a cool uh cocktail business now actually um yeah. but um it was uh it was hard I uh, hard at first and there is not a day that goes by where I don't dream about sun <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think um what you something you mentioned there about like you know like you sort of you're moving into this new opportunity but you but there's like a feeling of maybe not really knowing what will come in the next sort of three four five years one thing I've really noticed like about in this line of work is like it's very difficult to plan like for the future because there's always something that comes up you're like oh I want to explore that oh but I want to explore this as well oh and I want to explore that it's kind of like because like, I, used, I used to like really dream about my 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 sort of most lasting ambition whenever I was a little bit younger was like to be a clinical psychologist and then I just kind of got disillusioned with that career path because I did I realized I didn't want to be kind of working within kind of like the what would you say the the confines of a of a professional structure so I didn't want to be like working within that professional structure and not being able to change it in a way and yeah. I, I, I wanted to like look at the, the system from outside and see how it could be tweaked to, for the benefit of all in a way and that's why I just relinquished that ambition to be a clinical psychologist you know because it was something that was really in my head from from the age of about I would say 19 to probably 24 you know I was my yeah. mind was with you know oh, clinical psychologist clinical psychologist sort of I was like a robot woke up clinical psychologist <laughs> made some coffee clinical psychologist clinical psychologist <laughs> oh, weirdo like but I think um but yeah I mean and it just like that's something that I didn't expect to change whenever I was 22 I was like this is definitely what I'm going to be but six years later it's it's not what I wanted to be you know and I'm kind of like I do feel like there's a lot of curveballs thrown in this career path where it's kind of like yeah. oh you didn't consider this let's go into this you didn't consider this let's go into that yeah yeah totally and I I th 
what what you I guess one thing that you said about being in the system wanting to come outside mm-hmm. of it that's how I felt when I when I first was like I'm in public health and I was like yeah. I don't want to be in the I want to be outside of that <laughs> like, and that's how I said working in Tacamore but um but I think I think you're right I, I just like you know go go with the flow there's no way that I can um I think I'm I'm in a position now where I I I'm not panicked <laughs> about where my job's gonna be, which is being privileged. I um and I, I I think like uh so I'm I'm excited about um things. I eventually I'm from California, so eventually I'd like to go back to California. I just like the sun, so I just figure out where um how to chase the sun. But I I love London in the meantime. So <laughs> wonderful. Look, this has been a really enjoyable conversation. I've very much, uh, I've really enjoyed everything we've talked about here today. Um, I've learned a lot. I think um, anyone listening to it will take a lot away from it as well. Um, but we'll definitely rethink certain things. And that's what you want. As, as long as everyone takes something, watches one of these episodes and is like, you know what, I'm rethinking something that I previously didn't constantly think about before. I take that as a, a success of the episode. You know, I think uh, that's as long as it's getting people to at least question like, where they are and some of the assumptions they have and about mental health and the rest. But I consider that to be a huge success. But yeah, but thank you so much for coming on and um, best of luck with everything that's going to be taking place in your future. I wish you genuinely all the best on both a professional and personal level. But thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this great conversation, Barbara and Ryan. If you would like to join and share your story, please email us or reach out on our social media channels. You will find all the info in the podcast description. See you next time.